Hello, you are listening to the March Mad Men season finale. Tonight, we'll finish handing out the hardware to honor various slasher movies in our 64-film field. And of course, that culminates with the decision countless episodes have been leading up to which of our fatal four finalists is the greatest slasher movie ever made. As always, I'm John Evans, and I am joined by my stalwart pod partners, horror screenwriter Vikram Wheat, and TV and film producer Rich Eckersley. Guys, a lot of water under the bridge since we uh, recorded part one of this show. Vic, catch us up on Life at the Ranch, buddy. How are you? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm very tired. Uh, we've developed a, uh, a plumbing issue that I am in the process of having uh, fixed. But uh, what you learn is that most contractors don't really do digging. And so if your problem is underground and you don't want to spend you know, an extra $1,000, then you, my friend, are doing the digging. Uh, and so my, my back is, uh, is a little unhappy with me. And then I had a, uh, a near disaster uh, on the the recently passed Father's Day, sorry to uh, to date the podcast, but I have a I have a history of uh, uh, cooking related disasters on Father's Day, and really the more time I invest in it, the more likely it is uh, to to go up in flames, either literally or metaphorically. So I made a a roast duck uh, with some homegrown uh, potatoes and gravy and. Uh, uh, oh my God, a cucumber and tomato salad. It was just, it was fabulous. It was so good. I had a, a, a bottle logic beer to go with it, which is extraordinarily expensive, but actually worth it. Oh my God, it was good. Mm. And then I was going to make stock to make duck soup the next day. So at this point, I've had a little bit of scotch and I'm, I'm, but I've got everything going. I've got fresh herbs in there. Uh, oh my God, it was the, the Marsala wine and, and, and it's simmering. And I set my timer and I sat down on the couch and as I, as I fell unconscious, the battery on my phone died and I woke up the next morning to find that the entire pot was charred black with all of the duck and all of the things and uh, I had to throw the whole pot out. But at least I didn't burn the house down, which was a distinct possibility. That is, uh, that's a tale, man, and, and tragic because I know how seriously you take your your food, and um, everyone lost who didn't get to enjoy that meal. Um, but I didn't, I didn't cry. I cried when my son poured paint on the ribs I spent six hours on. <laughs> uh, but I didn't, I didn't cry this year. So that was that not... last year's Father's Day. <laughs> uh, it was a few years ago. Ah, okay. Last, I think last year I was like, you know what? I'm not cooking. We're ordering pizza. <laughs> yeah, you might want to go out for Father's Day um, next year. Uh, Rich, uh, you're a father as well. Um, did you have any misadventures, or what's going on? What's new in your world, man? Certainly no misadventures on the on the level of, of Vic. My wife made dinner for me, and no, I had a, I had a sick kid, and uh, so I took the well kids to go to Huntington Gardens out in Pasadena, which is lovely. Good time. Yeah, but no, man, I don't, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a whole lot to complain about. I got all my complaining out of my system before we started rolling tonight. <laughs> so, uh, so I'll just focus on the positive. You know, I have, I have my health, and uh, I got, I got you guys here, 
you're still around. You know, <laughs> that's a win. Uh, nothing to take for granted, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Um, that uh, that brings us to me, right? Um, and by the way, I'm really glad that we got all that Father's Day talk in when, like, this episode will probably drop around Halloween. So <laughs> fantastic. But okay. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it's been very eventful. I have a new apartment, my third since we um, started March Mad Men, this incarnation of the show. And that's great because I was floating around um, homeless for a while and I touched on last time, you know, my cat died. And then I was all excited to go off to New York for a family trip, see my uh, parents once a year, my sister, my niece and nephew, all that good stuff. And I had a pulmonary embolism while I was there, Uh, my second in 10 years. I don't know why. Nobody knows why exactly. I'm going to be on blood thinners the rest of my life. But anyway, I spent a couple of days in the hospital, and it was, as they say in the movies and TV sometimes, um, touch and go for a while there. I was – I don't know. Like I I, I don't think – my heart never stopped. I stopped breathing, Uh, but then I kind of got breathing again on my own uh, apparently, but I was kind of like ghost white and – uh, it was one of those, like, my sister was there. Uh, she she was with me in the hospital. And um, well, I, I'll just tell the little story. Like, um, the way this thing works is, like, you can't, you're short of breath really easily. And it, it took me out to want to piss standing up in this hospital room. Like, I stood up, I got the little thing. Later, I was an expert in this. I could do it lying down pissing this little um, <laughs> plastic jug thing. But uh, this was my first you know, hour in the hospital. So I stood up peeing into this thing. All my alarms and stuff are going off. And um, I'm like, I got to finish. I got to finish. And I do. And I, I cap this thing and I put it down and then I go, you know, just fall back onto the, onto the bed. And, uh, you know, there's another patient in the room and there's curtains around us. So I'm sort of forgotten, but my sister is on the hall and she was like waiting for me to say I'm done. And she'd come back and she's like, John, John, John. And then she comes in and sees me like pulls the curtain and I'm just lying there like, and then I go, (gasps) and start breathing again. And, uh, that took a while to come back from. That was actually the second time that I, um, had a syncope is what they call that, right? Where you pass out, um, and come back in a cold sweat. And that, like, I was just, couldn't even keep my eyes open or speak above a whisper for a good hour after that. But, you know, at the end of the day, blood thinners knocked out the blood clot in my pulmonary artery. And, um, I'm, back to normal better than ever. And I was within, you know, like 24 hours. So all's well that ends well. But if, if that was anything like death, I can tell you it's, it's very boring. So I'm not looking forward to that. It's given me a new, uh, (laughs) I mean, like, just like the, the lack of consciousness, um, of, of, of that, of passing out and, everything. I wasn't dreaming. I wasn't seeing white tunnels. I wasn't seeing my maker or, you know, my deceased loved ones or anything. Um, it sucked. So now I'm, I'm very much, um, with a, a, a keener appreciation and zest for life. And, and of course having, you know, good experiences with the people that I care about. And, uh, you guys are on that list. So it's good to be back. 
Well, and John, you you also didn't see you know fire and brimstone and and pitchforks, uh, mm-hmm. so it could so it could have been worse. <laughs> I didn't see what I deserve. Is that what you're yeah. saying, Vic? <laughs> I'm not saying you're a heathen, John, but uh, no, dude, that's that's really scary, man. I'm glad you're okay. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, it was it was scary. By the way, I'm drinking a. Um, this is cream soda and bourbon, so I thought I would do it up kind of fancy style for our, our, our seriously the final show of the season this time. Um, and uh, I, I saw Vic, you opened something there prior before we started. Indeed, I did. This is a Three Weavers Inglewood Gem uh, Hazy IPA. Nice, nice. Were... That's kind of my my jam, man. You're on the IPA train, huh? My uh, my bottle shop was all out of my uh, my usual Belgians, and uh, you know it's only this is I think it's seven percent. You know I wanted something over six. Uh, yeah, so, of yeah. course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't you don't get out of bed for anything less than six. Uh, and uh, Rich, uh, I'm just curious, like because this is a special, you know, our grand finale. Um, are there ice cubes <laughs> in the water? Like, do you have little cucumber slices in the water? Or, like, it, are you doing it up? Is it sparkling? No, is it flat? Three out of the can. I will say I do have I have four drinking vessels uh, in front of me, um, but I am choosing to drink straight out of the can. I basically live at this desk. Rich, <laughs> those are your children. Okay, don't call them drinking vessels. <laughs> <laughs> That's how Rich stays I, young. I assume that the cream soda and bourbon is doctor's orders, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no comment. In the, in the 1850s, maybe. Yeah, this, this is going to be hard for you to hear, but I need you to adhere to a strict regimen of cream soda and bourbon. Well, I'll also, do my best, Doc. Also, we're going to need you to start smoking. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, glad, to, glad to catch up with you guys. Um, we seriously, you know, really haven't talked since uh since the last show at least the three of us haven't so good to see your faces hear your voices and uh let's get back to the business at hand i think we should resume our awards presentation and uh next up is a pretty major prize to be sure it's best final girl or guy and of course uh this all the films that we covered this season, 64 in total, are potentially eligible for this, but we've got a list of nominees, and they are Sally Hardesty, played by Marilyn Burns in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Laurie Strode, portrayed by Jamie Lee Curtis in the original Halloween, Kayla, played by Airly Dodds in The Furies. More people should check that movie out if you really? haven't seen Definitely. Yeah, you should do so. Ginny, played by Amy Steele in Friday the 13th, part two. Tommy Jarvis, portrayed by Tom Matthews in Friday the 13th, part six. And Ben, played by Joel David Moore in Hatchet. All right. It's a strong field. Of course, we've left out many, many potentially viable contenders, but uh, those are the names uh, Vic, want to get us started? Do you already have it all figured out or do you want to like bounce it around? 
I mean, I think the obvious front runner is Amy Steele as Jenny in Friday the 13th Part 2. I mean, I think as I've been poking around the uh, the slasher universe, uh, I, I think she's roundly regarded as probably one of the best, if not the best, final girl. Um, I do think that... Jamie Lee Curtis is certainly well regarded, but John, I, you've you've had some success in talking me down off of the the Jamie Lee Curtis final girl uh, uh, train. Uh, led, I'm glad I somebody listens to me. Yeah, uh, I would say the so my sleeper pick might be Sally in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, just for her utter willingness to throw herself out of windows over and over again in order to survive. Uh, even more than Amy Steele, I mean, Sally really does embody just a will to live uh, more than sort of cleverness or, 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 you know, some of the other traits we sort of associate with them. So I'm going to cast my vote for Amy Steele. Uh, but uh, as we get into this, don't don't sleep on Sally. Yeah, you make a great point there, and I totally agree with that as far as her indomitable will to live being unparalleled. Rich, what are your thoughts? I'm going to toss in a, a write-in vote for uh, Caroline Williams as Stretch in yes. Texas, uh, Massacre 2. That's legit. Uh, I mean, she literally dances with the devil. You know, she, 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 she I mean, her, her, her final moments in that film— um, her defiant uh, ending after, you know, vanquishing the the evils, uh, so to speak, is uh, is sort of iconic in its own uh, pre Evil Dead two kind of way, and um, a perfect counterpoint to the end of the first movie too, because it's a chainsaw dance, you know, much yeah. like in a Leatherface at the end of the first one. Yeah, and she like you know like she has a she's a. a legitimate like journey which i think is also part of my vote for i know that we've talked about like the reasons why jamie lee curtis might not be like why her lori might not be the strongest but i do think there's something to be said for like dimension and story and like character arc and kind of what they get to, to work with not that amy Steele doesn't have that but amy Steele, i feel like is largely performance-based is what makes her so strong but i like that stretch has this sort of like investigative backstory that she sort of like survives like the trials of like multiple horrors from like the radio station to the 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 bunker or whatever it is that you'd call where the where the sawyer family is living uh in the, the second half of the film and then of course like there's the whole like you know her like navigation of this uh of this infatuation that leatherface has with her and the way that she manages to sort of like exploit that to her own advantage. Um, ultimately, you know, like, I don't know. She's, she's a cool, she's a cool character. And like, I, I mean that as, as emphatically as I support that movie sometimes. Um, I think she's really interesting on the, on the existing list that we have though, if we, for the sake of managing our, our voting, I don't like, I don't know. Like I, I honestly don't I like Sally and Texas Chancellor Massacre to me Again, I'd say is like a, a performance-based character. Like I, I appreciate how unhinged Sally is, but Jamie Lee Curtis, I feel like, does exhibit some kind of like strategy and like growth. You know, like I find her like there's a reason why Lori is still around and still being featured in terrible Halloween sequels uh, or whatever they are. 
and that's because you know she is she is like resilient and feels very like connected to the material and not like some like hapless victim who's just sort of doing their best to to survive. So I, I don't know. I, I think I'm gonna give it to Lori. Wow. Yikes. I mean, I was with you with on stretch, but uh oh, I mean if you think I can get a second vote for stretch, I'll vote for stretch. I just think stretch <laughs> wasn't on stretch wasn't on our list. So but I'll go for no. stretch. I, I haven't gotten to go to the bat for for for, for uh, TCM two very much. Yeah, I mean, I, I think stretch is basically an an oversight. I even was thinking that when I was looking at the list again tonight, um, that she should be on there. Okay, well, I'm not going to re-litigate the matter of, of Laurie Strode as a character as depicted and with her character arc or lack thereof in Halloween. I mean, I covered this ad nauseum um, on our last two podcasts, but... Uh, I, I will say, Vic, how do you feel about Stretch? Because I'm going to I'm going to say my piece. But are you about Amy Steele? Of course, because I am team Amy Steele uh, have been from the beginning. But um, are you even open to the possibility of Stretch or do you think she belonged off the list? She is, I think, in some ways, less of a traditional final girl in that. She's less the survivor of a group of people in the way that, say, Lori or Sally or uh, Jenny is uh, insofar as she's she's more just kind of the protagonist. Like she's just the the sort of main character. I, I would still vote for Jenny. I see the case. I don't know. I still just I there's something about TCM two, just it 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 makes me feel gross. <laughs> and so it's not it's just not high on my list of uh, uh, of movies I want to see awarded, although obviously up to this point, my opinion has had very little impact on what awards are given out. So. <laughs> you had a couple wins last time towards the end, as I recall. Yeah, yeah uh, literally a couple like two. Yeah, that's good. And I think Rich had like eight in a row or something yeah. at some point. <laughs> yeah, I kind of sort of tore up the card last time. Yeah. All right. Well, here's my two cents. Um, I'll weigh in third on this. It's obviously Ben and Hatchet. Come on, guys. Come on. No. <laughs> hey, I like Joel David more. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's not to say he he doesn't belong. I'm just kidding. He he's probably you know the obvious no. But Ginny um, is the prototypical final girl who can hold her own physically, but uses her wits to outsmart the slasher and save the day. And I do think that stretch kind of handling navigating, as I think rich put it, Leatherface is in that same realm. I mean, there's some psychology there and, and I think that, that she gets, you know, she should get some points in that category as well. I just want to say, you know, again, like, but maybe not to repeat myself, literally, I, I, I thought about Ginny as a character it, that I may not have said before. She's witty. She's charismatic. She's living her life her own way. And yet she seems like an actual person that we might meet in real life. And I think that's a, a tough combination to find in slasher movies. And that that's not something that... It, Laurie Strode in Halloween is totally um, doesn't benefit or, you know, she that that applies to her, too, in some ways. That's not 
where my problem with Laurie is. Um, but I think that the, that Amy Steele as Ginny has kind of the total package, you know, she's smart and resourceful and makes the right conclusions based on the evidence that she is presented with. And that that's kind of what puts her over the top for me. Um, so I, I think that given, you know, where Vic is on this and his antipathy, a little shocking antipathy for Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, um, I, I think, yeah, it, it's Amy Steele for the win. Okay. Um, Rich, do you have any final thoughts on this now that you've, you've lost a category? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say I know how Vic feels, but it would have to happen to me over and over and over and over. <laughs> like the when the daniels lost the screenplay award for everything everywhere all at once <laughs> you're like oh i don't like this hope i win everything else <laughs> yeah. okay moving on uh the dress to kill award which is the most effective use of costume and or mask design, presumably with the slasher himself or herself. And the nominees here are Art the Clown in Terrifier, Leatherface in The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Doppelgangers in Us, The Strangers in The Strangers, the Haunted House guys in Haunt. I'm not sure what else to call those guys, but you know who we mean. Or Michael Myers in the original Halloween. So I will lead us off on this one. I think when you combine the mask of human flesh, the incongruously formal necktie, and the butcher's apron, you get a pretty iconic look with Leatherface. It's the very definition of a psycho killer who you don't want coming at you. And that's before we even get to the chainsaw that is very likely revving in his giant mitts. So that's uh, that's my initial thought, but I'm I'm somewhat open to being moved on this. Uh, Vic, tell me where where your heart is in this regard. I I had a a knee jerk reaction that I think I'm going to stick with, but I, I the more I thought about it. My strong runner-up, I think, is uh, the Strangers. Uh, I think their their masks, even though they're simple, uh, are really terrifying. And even their clothes, there's something about the kind of the 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 dress, the ill the dress on dresses and the girls, the ill-fitting suit on the guy. Um, it's it, it's all of a, a sort of a, a dirty, off-putting piece with those masks, which really are, I think, vital to that story in a way that, that some, some of these other ones maybe aren't. But my knee-jerk reaction that I think I'm going to cast my vote for is Art the Clown in Terrifier. Uh, that is, I mean, I mean, to have really become like an iconic image, an iconic character, and we've talked about this, he doesn't speak... Uh, he doesn't have like the the easily identifiable weapon like uh, Michael Myers or the the chainsaw, and it's it's part of it is the performance, but a lot of it is the way that fucking guy looks, and it's fucking creepy. Now, Terrifier makes me feel gross too, but <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I kind of I, I 
honestly kind of think Art the Clown and Terrifier is my uh, is my number one. Well, he was right there for me, so I'm open to this. Rich? Man, this is a tough one because these are these are strong entries. And I think that the, this category really gets to an essential component that you can identify in slasher films that doesn't necessarily exist in many of the other subgenres. You know, this uh, question of like the the visage that that the killer takes on and the fact that it's usually hiding something it's usually something that they that they wear that that covers them up and conceals their identity or gives them an identity is it as it may be is like it's really a defining feature of the genre so i think just to make it on the list says really strong things about all these films I want to give a, a a shout out in particular to Haunt, which I think in some ways like almost had my vote. I think partially just because that movie hasn't gotten quite enough love. And I, that was one of the stronger elements of it was I think it was one of the few newer horror films we had seen where I was really pulled into that visual identity of the killers and that when the mask was, you know, they're, they're all wearing masks and then they, they remove them at some point, you get to see what their, their flesh and blood faces look like. Uh, the faces themselves are mutated in a way that's even more frightening than the mask was. And that's something yeah. that almost every other film in this list actually fails at. I think most of these movies, like there's always an, uh, a moment where the, the killer has the, the mask removed you know, whether you get like a good look or not. And it's almost always disappointing. And that is the one movie that like did not let me down in that regard. And it actually ratcheted up the the, the terror, I thought. Can I give it my vote? Ugh, it's up against strong competition. You're right. Ch- uh, like I, my immediate instinct was also Art the Clown. I saw, I, all, for all the reasons you you identified, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, the doppelgangers in us are just like great costume design. You know, the strangers, like, uh, I agree they're iconic. But they're basically just like hipsters. It's just like <laughs> hipsters and masks. You're, you're, you're like the weird dress in the ill-fitting suit. And you're like, it's, it's like, I don't know, it's like Silver Lake. Um, but but I, I agree they're very effective they're a good like mix like somehow like there's 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 a kind of alchemy going on with their design man i don't know i'm kind of like talking around like trying to figure out like what my own answer to this question is um before you actually commit like i i think maybe give you more time to think and like all of us because this is this is a tough one i think that the jason being absent is also something we should at least reflect on and I, I realize that you know his look in the 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 fatal four representative with you know we like the pillowcase and everything, but that's not the Jason, which is, I think is kind of maybe partially why the hockey mask isn't in this list, but it probably should be. And hearing Rich kind of define this makes me this category makes me think that the hockey mask, of course, should be in there. And I will even say that some of his looks underneath the mask are great. And, you know, I know Vic didn't like the mask under the mask in or under the, the pillowcase makeup effect in part two so much. But I think we all agree that Jason is often, you know, pretty well done 
and hideous and disturbing under the mask as well. Um, so for a couple of reasons, like maybe it's, I don't know, part six, Jason, or, um, the new blood Jason, or, you know, one of these Jasons should probably be here, uh, for the combination of the mask and the face beneath. I, I just want to say, I mean, I, cause I noticed like we haven't talked about Michael Myers, which is also obviously one of the iconic masks sort of yeah. looks, uh, and that sort of thing. I mean, I think part of it is that, that, that particular mask is so blank and undefined compared with some of the other stuff that we're talking about. I mean, Leatherface is literally wearing a human face. Myers certainly deserves to be on the list, but I wonder how much it is, you know, when we, when we talked about some of these other ones, like Michael Myers wears a jumpsuit, like how much does the costume have to do with it? Like, I feel the same way about Jason a little bit. It's like overalls. Um, the mask, yeah. I think, is 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 effective. The hockey mask is certainly effective. Even the the burlap sack with the one eye hole is effective. But in terms of like a like a total look, a total iconic like standout look, you know, I think Leatherface and Art the Clown uh, uh, certainly jump out. I know Rich was dismissive of the hipster strangers, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, at least it's consistent. Okay, well, I think we can narrow it down. At least I can narrow it down. Sounds like Vic can narrow it down to Leatherface or Art the Clown. Rich, do you have a preference on that? I have to go with the the icon. I'd have to go with Leatherface. I think Art the Clown is is incredible and uh, just like great design overall. But like, I I can't give it to Art over Leatherface. I think it's a tough one. Um, I, I definitely am haunted by Art's whole look, and I think it's it's brilliant. And his just his facial makeup alone is so indelible. But uh, yeah, obviously Leatherface was was my nominee. So let's proceed. Leatherface gets the trophy. Nice, Rich. You're on my shit list now, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> How's that feel, huh? Wow, there's uh, there's room for one more on your shit list, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, John, technically you're on, you're on there several times. I, so. I'm, I I thought I had it like an exclusive right, but I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> like share. it's like it's like Jack uh, Jack Torrance's book. It just says shit list. John F. Evans. John F. Evans. John F. Evans. John F. Evans. <laughs> Okay, next up is fight or flight, and this is Rich's category. We never quite nailed down how to introduce this one, but it's basically the best confrontation set piece, memorable, extended kind of a sequence in one of these films uh, that usually involves like a a pitched battle of some kind, people running around chaos, fight or flight. I think that that sums it up well. So the nominees are the pool scene from the strangers pray at night Two, the motel scene from my bloody Valentine 3d Lupita Nyong'o versus Lupita Nyong'o in us and five, Halloween 2, this is Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, that whole epic opening hospital sequence. All right. Uh, Rich, get us started. Get us rolling here. 
what do you think? This is your category. Uh, if anything else you want to add about the category, um, and uh, yeah, what are your preliminary thoughts? Again, I, I feel like this is a super like there are no there's just no losers in this group. Like this yeah. is a this is a really strong category. I guess may and you know I guess maybe my my add to it would be that similar to the the last category, I think there's something to the the cat and mouse game that is also just endemic to this genre. Um, and so again, these like these sort of like dramatic confrontations in which a in which the the galoot takes out someone mm-hmm. or battles the the final girl, um, as the case may be, like end up making these sort of like iconic set pieces. You know, like you have the creative sort of like proppy kills, you know, but really these like big confrontations are in every one of these films, and so these are, you know five great examples uh, i think that in terms of my vote um i'll say i like all these i'm not a huge fan of the showdown in in us um if i was to like to sell any of them short i really do love the one in stage fright it's just in terms of its its art house uh style beauty and, and patience um it's a lot of fun to watch i felt really 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 sucked into it and the motel scene in My Bloody Valentine is really clever. But for me, it comes down to the pool scene from The Strangers Prey at Night, which I think is just like a, a mini masterpiece that's that's within that film. They do a lot of great work with with audio and camera. You know, we, I'm sure we discussed it thoroughly whenever we uh, did the movie. But it's just like an incredibly well executed, uh, pun intended, um, hmm. scene between one of the strangers and uh, I can't remember a boyfriend. I can't remember who the guy is that that's uh, uh, the brother, the brother. Okay. But I think actually, and like, I didn't have a pick going into this. I think I'm actually going to go with the opening hospital scene from Halloween too. That is the strongest part of that film. I think in a, in a movie that I know that we all like and have discussed extensively. Um, it's rather long. Like it's a pretty long cat and mouse confrontation, but like, from that like inc- that like incredible kill where uh, Michael takes out Octavia Spencer, you know, and just this like this grueling uh, pursuit through the hospital and the way that it's is also like at the same time like subverting your expectations. If you had seen the original Halloween too, um, like I think that Michael, especially in in zombies creations, is at his most menacing and most frightening in this sequence in particular. And like, you can really feel the stalking terror and the, the brutality of what will follow if Michael gets his hands on Laurie. And um, yeah, I don't know. So I'm, I'm, I'm going with Halloween too. Well said. Um, you took me back. I felt like I was watching the movie again, which is a good place to be. And it's been a while. So thank you for that. Um, Vic, I'll throw it to you next on this. Well, I'm a, I'm actually a much bigger fan. I think I'm the one who added uh, Lupita Nyong'o versus Lupita Nyong'o in uh, Us. I'm a really big fan of that scene. I love the cross-cutting with the flashback to the ballet performance. And, uh, uh, so yeah, that was, uh, the, uh, like rich, I think I feel, I think these are all really great scenes 
And uh, but that that was one of the standouts for me. Strangers. I mean, it's I, I do think especially with Strangers Pray at Night, like you say the pool scene. And if you've seen the movie, you're like, holy fuck, the pool scene. Yeah. Uh, I, Rich, I mean, you mentioned the the camera work and everything. I do think it it as an individual scene, it takes some unexpected turns. The lighting. And am I remembering correctly? Isn't there some kind of incongruous music playing over yes. the speakers? It's a total eclipse of the heart. Total of the heart yeah. Jesus. <laughs> yes. Um, that's what I mean. It's it. been, it's been like a year since I watched that and all that stuff is still very fresh in my mind. So I will accepting that, that, that neither you nor John will vote for, uh, us, then I will sort of narrow it down to Halloween two and strangers pray at night. Well, you can hold on. Like you don't have to make your final vote yet. Cause I haven't said anything yet. So all right. maybe John, this will... yeah, John sway me. <laughs> court, court my vote court me john buy me dinner you know yeah, I, I don't i don't feel like we've had a real uh stalemate yeah no on, on this no not really yeah, i mean if you just if you just pick against me every time then no you don't have a you don't have a stalemate it's fine i think we got close a couple times uh last time around but um no my um, i can't unfortunately really uh, rock the boat on this. My notes going in uh, to tonight's show were um, I like the strangers total eclipse of the heart fight in the pool a lot, but that hospital set piece to kick off Rob Zombie's Halloween two is a total showstopper. It just got it all. And it's filmed so damn well textbook stuff. So those were my notes. So that's, that's my contribution. Uh, Vic, you're going to have to decide. My only question is, and I'd like, this this probably shouldn't affect it, but the hospital scene turns out to be a dream, and that undermines its effectiveness to me somehow. Yeah, that's, a, that's a valid point. But I don't. I, again, I don't think there's a. I don't think there's a wrong answer. So I and and like I said, I think I added Halloween too. So uh, yeah, I'll I'll throw my vote for that. Okay, I think we landed on the right one there. I I, I really do. Uh, as great as that pool sequences just the the complexity the the size the amount of beats that there are in that um halloween 2 it's it's really i think we clocked it at like 20 minutes or something i mean it's almost unfair to even call it a sequence but but because it is one dream it is like a sort of separate thing i i think it's still fair uh to treat it that way and yeah it's it, it, it probably is the best Michael Myers in the zombie verse that we that we ever get. Okay, moving on. Um, we have one more award to give out before our discussion and vote on the greatest slasher movie ever made. Uh, we could reload our beverages now or wait until then. Let's wait. Okay. I'm not, I'm not in any rush. Rich, right. you get that? I'm good. Right. You have several things of water you can pour into one. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Scariest scene, everybody. That is the final um, runner-up award to the big one. And our nominees for this one doesn't require much introduction, does it? The nominees are The Body Bag in the Hallway in Nightmare on Elm Street, The Home Invasion in High Tension, 
the shower scene in Psycho, the opening sequence in Scream, and the radio station attack in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. All right, well, uh, it's Nightmare on Elm Street for me, Um, at least on the face of it. I mean, I will hear your guys' arguments, but I'll never forget how scary Tina haunting Nancy at the school is in that film, especially given the way that Tina died, which I think is probably the most visceral, disturbing kill in the whole Nightmare on Elm Street series because it is basic and primal and brutal and not jokey at all. Uh, To me, for me, uh, you know, the movie and the series never get back to the level of that first kill and then Tina coming back in the body bag. It's absolutely horror gold. And my favorite, my choice for the most chilling sequence in Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, that's why I'm gonna gonna say it's the scariest scene in any of these films. Rich, what are your thoughts? I mean, I have no argument. Uh, this this one seems like it's actually a pretty pretty slam dunk. Uh, I think the body bag in the hallway obviously is is widely regarded um, as the most chilling image um, and just general like beat that we that we saw in any of these films. I mean, like it's, it's interesting. Like uh, the radio station attack in Texas chainsaw, I, I can remember, but like, it doesn't, the idea of it being scary doesn't really stick mm. with, me. um, except for how unnerving, uh, chop top and his, uh, and his coat hanger are, um, <laughs> is that the main thing that's, that sticks with me from that. But, you know, it has a certain level of mayhem, but like, does it ever peak to the level of mayhem that? you get in like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't know. I'd have to go back and review them, but I, I think not, you know, uh, I, I think I'll just comment that I put that one in there and I think it's, I mean, there's a dread, there's an atmosphere and kind of a build up. you know, like we had the, the scene with the, the two, um, frat guys, um, in the, you know, road sequence, the chase scene with, with the Sawyers. And then you kind of like ramp it down again. And it takes a while for us to see the Sawyers again. And that, that sequence stretch and LG are alone in the radio station. And, you know, they're, closing down and it's like it's misty and they got the weird you know the on-air lights and everything and and then like there's the the sudden savagery of uh of chop top uh attacking lg with the hammer and and it's a it's an extended it, it actually you know would have been a, a good contender for the last category really but but not to say that i put it really in the you know shouting distance with the body bag sequence. Cause I definitely agree with you. It's kind of a slam dunk, but all right, that's, that's, that's my justification for that scene being in there. I mean, that's a good justification. I actually, the interestingly, the only other one I really considered, although I wouldn't, I, I, I would also vote for the body bag scene in nightmare on Elm street. Cause again, I think that that gave us all nightmares yeah. <laughs> when, we, when we were kids. Um, but the opening sequence in Scream, like Wes Craven knows how to generate tension. And that's a scene that that very easily could have not worked 
for it could have been silly. Uh, it's another good example of the tension ramping up and up and up and up. Uh, and then to end with, you know, Drew Barrymore hanging and disemboweled in a tree is, you know, I mean, that really that really goes somewhere. That's a really that's a really tense scene. Um, same thing for the home invasion and high tension, although that just doesn't have that same iconic quality, I feel like, as as either Nightmare or Scream. But, yeah, the body bag in the hallway in Nightmare on Elm Street is the for me is the, the clear cut winner. Yeah, as much as I like to shit on the Scream movies in general and they're just not my cup of tea and, you know, I don't even particularly enjoy revisiting the first one anymore, I'll never forget watching that opening sequence in the theater uh, that you're talking about. And I was 100% putty in Wes Craven's hands at that point. It it absolutely worked. And... Um, the the other one that you mentioned that I, I do I also put in high tension the home invasion which I think is a exquisitely awful scene and, and incredibly harrowing and torturous um, and 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 you know grounded in our real fears uh, in the middle of the night you know in a house where you don't feel entirely safe it's pretty damn effective but we all agree so body bag. Uh, in the hallway, Rich. Any any last thoughts on this? Uh, no, I I had some internet issues there as as you were talking, Vic. I I will say that I thought I'm sure that we talked about this at the time, but that the the scream opening, I agree, back in the day held a lot of power. I feel like maybe it's aged the most poorly of of any of these. Um, like I don't think that it was is quite as compelling or, or chilling. Um, when we watched it this time around, which was a little disappointing because I, I, I'm with you. I remember it being very horrific, uh, but I didn't ultimately feel like it, it paid off quite as well. Yeah, that's true. Like uh, I would say all of us would agree most of these scenes still pack a hell of a punch when we watch them right now. And, and yeah. that one definitely, I totally agree. I think it ages the worst of all of them. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Wes. Yep. Well, I gave him an award just earlier tonight. I think he'll be okay. Uh, wherever he is. Okay. Let's, uh, let's call a quick timeout, wet our whistles, uh, and come back for the granddaddy of them all. The big one. All right, gentlemen, I think it's time that we complete the mission that we set out to accomplish this season. And that of course is to determine what is the greatest slasher movie ever made. And we've got four contenders just to remind everyone what they are. It's Black Christmas, 1974, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974, Friday the 13th, Part 2, 1981. And then we wrapped up our coverage with Halloween, 1978, the John Carpenter classic. That was the Fatal Four. They all got loving autopsies. I hope uh, our listeners have gone through each of them. And now, tonight, looking back, uh, we have more perspective on it all. But it's time. we got to pick one of those movies, guys. And Vic, uh, kick us off, man. Where do you stand at the moment on this? Is it an easy decision, or have you been agonizing, or did you you know, flip a coin a few times, or what? Well, John, there's, there's, there's four uh, in the category, so flipping a coin wouldn't, wouldn't really help. Well, I uh, thought maybe you'd do them like in... Uh, hey. 
like in a tournament fashion, like oh, the first two and then the next two, you know what I mean? And then no, flip a tur- it again. A tournament fashion would never work. Obviously, we know that. <laughs> <laughs> I do, however, I do have a mission I want to complete uh, before we get to this, which is. Yeah, sweet sound. Mm. Love it. There we go. Well, I reloaded my cream soda and bourbon, so I'm good to go. And um, <laughs> sorry, Rich. <laughs> Atta boy, Doc. All right, so I actually. Oh, hang on. Sorry, I think I got beer on my mouse pad. <laughs> there we go. That'll happen. <laughs> Occupational hazard. Yep. Um, so I will say, in some ways, I agonized over it. I came up with a system a little bit like our scorecards, right? So I went through and just broke down so characters and violence slash deaths, antagonists, script, uh, directing, suspense or scares, historical significance, performances, right? And then I just rated them one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, added it up and and figured out which one had the the lowest score. Obviously, would be the uh, the the best of the bunch. Oh, it's very empirical. I like your process. Uh, well, I needed a process because it was it really was difficult. Like the more I thought about it. So based on this process, obviously I'm not going to go through each category, but I will tell you here's how the score shook out for me in last place with the 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 uh, highest score, but let's say the lowest score. Uh, Friday the 13th part 2. That was followed by Black Christmas with 22. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre came in second, which means Halloween came in first. They were separated by exactly three points. Um, so they were very close. Uh, and some of the categories, like I for antagonist, I literally put uh, Chainsaw Halloween and Friday. Just they all got one rankings. Like I can't. Tie. Separate. Yeah, I yeah. can't separate those uh, in terms of antagonist. I mean. You know, directing, I went with Toby Hooper, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Man, you could you could easily go for John Carpenter in Halloween. We talked a lot about how those sustained takes help build the tension, um, how you know the the choices that he made working within the budget, but you just can't beat that that gliding camera under the swing and the and especially I mean Leatherface's first kill and some of the frenetic editing and stuff uh, uh, at the end of Chainsaw. So like yeah, like that, you know, that sort of gets the 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 beat. But Halloween, I think, I mean, where Halloween really won for me, you know, I take it back. All the films have issues, right? Like that was the other thing was as much as as much as I love them, as much as they are all phenomenal examples of this genre. I think that, you know, Friday the 13th Part 2 opens with a, a 20 minute flashback of the first film and contains logical incongruities that like, they just don't even try to fix black Christmas. I think you could say that the, the kills are not that impressive. We never get to see the killer. So it doesn't have any of that like iconic imagery that some of the other ones do. Uh, Chainsaw massacre outside of Sally and Frank, the characters are kind of bland and the, and the Sawyers obviously. But the supporting cast is pretty is pretty bland, and it does get to feel a little repetitive with Sally just jumping out of windows and running 
running through <laughs> the Texas wilderness and then getting caught and drugged back and then jumping through another window. So there's a little bit of that. And um, Halloween, I we've you know we've covered some of the the issues with that many times. You know the the those long slow takes they can work for you or they can feel boring. Uh, you know, I, I find PJ Soul's performance a little grating. Uh, I find, well, you guys have actually sold me on on Michael Myers and the sheet, John. You and you and Mike really sold me on that. But um, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's it's every one of them. I think has nits that you can pick if you're so inclined. And that was why I was like, I don't know how else to do this. Like, I'm just going to break it down like this. But it's, I would say, given how close Halloween and Texas Chainsaw Massacre shake out uh, when I went through this process, I could be swayed. So I will I will leave that up to you. But my preliminary vote is for Halloween. All right. Fantastic breakdown there, Vic. Um, I love the way you laid it all out. And I really can't disagree with most of what you said. I'm not sure whether I should go next to Rich. I think, Rich... Can I feel you out a little bit here? Are you going off the reservation or are you mostly in accord with Vic? I think that's what I need to know. <laughs> uh, I don't think you're supposed to use the phrase off the reservation anymore. <laughs> Good point. Um, Maybe not. I thought that was a CIA term. I, I don't know the origin of it other than obviously, yeah, reservation. I know what that is, but anyway. Uh, well, no, see, see, John, when the when the Europeans colonized the United States, there were indigenous people already. No, <laughs> the number one podcast. I'm not entirely sure I understand your question. Um, well, no, I, I guess like. I'm trying to figure out, like, for dramatic purposes, which one of us should go next. And uh, I think think you would be my choice if you're really going to take us in a different direction. Otherwise, I think I should pick it up here, if that makes any sense. I am not going to take us in a dramatically different direction. Okay. All right. Then then I'll save you for the home stretch. Okay. No, no Lake Mungo this year. Well, I, I mean, I think I will be somewhat throwing in a wild card here from, from the sound of it. Now... In my ledger, I had to figure out like how the final four would would break down as as in like what would then be my final two. And so I would land on Black Christmas and Texas Chainsaw Massacre as my final two. And I can see the argument for the other two for sure. But I have greater critiques of those two films of talking about Halloween and Friday the thirteenth part two. Um, I saw lots of little faults in those movies during our exhaustive examination of them, more than I personally saw in Black Christmas or Texas Chainsaw. And I'm not going to repeat myself from the Halloween and Friday podcast, but um, they are just more flawed as movies to me in a vacuum. Uh, I think that Vic makes some good points as far as what is a little underwhelming about Black Christmas in the sense of the kills being 
Um, certainly not a focal point of what makes that movie great. And the, you know, the trade-offs of the handling of the killer, um, one of those, you know, liabilities being potentially that, you know, he's almost entirely a point of view in the film. Uh, we only see his eye basically. And uh, I think that works great in that particular movie, but it's, you know, it's certainly Billy is not in the league of Michael or Leatherface or uh, Jason. So there's no question about that. Here's my sort of biggest criteria as I saw it. And and this is just personal and I don't think it's objective, but I think that Halloween and Friday the 13th are intended to get teenagers to the box office. Uh, that's objective, but I'll, you know, my interpretation of why this matters will be subjective. But anyway, even if black Christmas is quote unquote, trying to be commercial and that, you know, Bob Clark's trying to make money here, it doesn't play like one of those movies, at least not in the same way that a Michael or a Jason film does. And obviously, you know, Toby Hooper wanted to make money with Texas Chainsaw, but in the Joe Bob Briggs vernacular, it did it the drive-in way. No holds barred, whether it had gallons of blood or not, doesn't matter. It, you know, was not a studio picture. And and so for my personal sensibilities as a horror fan, which I've laid bare at length in the course of all of these podcasts over the years, I think that Black Christmas and Texas Chainsaw have a better claim to the title of greatest slasher movie ever made. It's not all about influence. It's it's also largely about what movies affect me the most, which movies that I most want to watch again to marvel at their artistry and enjoy the viewing experience. Even if, you know, obviously parts of Texas chainsaw are deliberately quote unquote, unenjoyable. I, I, I still enjoy that film on a level that I don't enjoy watching Halloween or um, Friday the 13th part two. So, I went into this whole process saying from day one, my vote would go to Texas Chainsaw. Um, I was open to changing my mind, same as The Shining in our haunted house season. And I remember Mike Kuchak said somewhat mockingly that we were wasting our time because, of course, the process was going to land on The Shining. And, of course, it was going to land on Texas Chainsaw. And I think he got to a degree when I explained it to him that it's different to decide this based on your lifetime of movie going or to actually take the time to look at all of the candidates together one by one, weigh their relative merits in the subgenre as a whole. And, and by the end of the haunted house movie season, I definitely came to love films that I hadn't fully recognized before. That's not as much the case here with the slasher movies as all four of our finalists have been high up in my personal pantheon for many years. But uh, I do understand the slasher movie so much better now than I did before we embarked on this journey. So I'll just wrap up by saying, as of now, I'm going with Texas Chainsaw because it's both a unique film and representative of the slasher film in general at the same time. It has that recognizable slasher film DNA, plenty of influence on the subgenre, but it's also unmistakably its own thing. 
Yeah, there are other movies with wild intensity, but none are quite as unrelentingly insane for as long as this movie is. There are other movies with a deranged family at the center, or group of people at any rate. None of them are more indelible than the Sawyers. And uh, Leatherface may not be a slam dunk as the greatest slasher of all time, which I want to note, we did not attempt to decide uh, who the greatest overall slasher killer is pound for pound. Um, but I think he obviously deserves to be in any debate about who that would be as does Michael. Um, but his humanity and vulnerability Leatherface now are pretty much unmatched. Does it make him less threatening or scary? I don't think so. Unless you're able to connect with him like stretch does. And that's not an easy task, but it's, it's, isn't that possible with almost any human being, even the most tortured and twisted of us? I think there's a, a depth to Leatherface that makes this movie more real than the others, even if his bond with Stretch is in the second one. And uh, to tie in Sally and the final girl aspect of this, um, I think she's absolutely a representative final girl. She may not be my personal favorite, but she's also realistically imperfect, again, human, and as driven to survive as anyone, as we touched on before. She never gives up, and she gets away. So you got to give her the edge on Jess from Black Christmas, that's for sure. Last last statement on the movie, it freaks me out. It still does. Like we just talked about the impact of, of Scream and the, and the opening sequence being lost. Black Christmas also still freaks me out. The other two don't anymore. Halloween, eh, a, a little bit, but but not not to the extent that te- Texas Chainsaw does, or even Black Christmas. The movie has a power over me that it just can't be denied, and it's visceral, and, and that still goes on. Like not the second watch or the third watch or the fifteenth watch, multiple multiple times, and for long stretches of the movie. I just think that that's a huge accomplishment for a horror movie that I, I've seen you know dozens and dozens of times. So. You guys, you know, take your shot. But I came into this tournament thinking it was Texas Chainsaw, and and right now I, I still think it is Texas Chainsaw. So, Rich, once again, you have the chance to choose between me and John. And with one of those choices, you can spite Mike Kuchak, who has said that we have all been wasting our time. Last time, <laughs> to, my, to my shock and horror... Uh, uh, you chose to side with Mike Kujak <laughs> on a movie that you actively disparaged for the entire process. I'm not still angry about that. I've talked to my therapist. It's cool. Uh, refresh but, uh, our memory, Vic. What what exactly were you referring to there? <laughs> Wait, seriously? Yeah. What did you, what did you vote for, Vic? Uh-huh. Like, I voted for Oculus. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're talking about The Shining? And John voted for The Shining, and you were the deciding vote, and you voted for The Shining after you shat on it. You you talked about how much you hated watching it over and over again. I mean, yeah, that's – well, I mean, like, we we can rehash it all over again, but that's – I just – I just – I'm just saying this is – you have the same choice before you. Did we have to do all this and arrive at Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I don't know. Wow, that's a very compelling argument, um, Mr. Lawyer. There, that. No, <laughs> you know what, what the like, jury thinks. I will. I will make. I will make this argument uh, for for Halloween, which is. I mean, I honestly, part of it is, John. What you said, Halloween still scares me. I still have nightmares about Michael Myers. 
that score, like you can just put that on. My fucking kids are like, ah, it's the Halloween music. You know, they've never seen Halloween, obviously, as far as I know. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just I, I still find that to be the film that gets under my skin, that that really is the template for 30 years, 40 years of slasher films. You know, we're still we're still grappling with what Michael Myers is. And I find that they're both very complex and, and deep films, but for very different reasons. They're both sort of really accomplished in their filmmaking, but the filmmaking techniques are very different. Uh, so, yeah, I don't I it's it really is like you, uh, you I almost can't make the case beyond horror tends to be very personal, as John has has uh, uh, often said. This is these are personal choices. Um, and so I just hope that, uh, you know, you look deep within yourself uh, <laughs> and see how much my personal choice is right. <laughs> well, ironically, that impassioned uh, speech may have been lost on your audience because I think uh, Rich was called away by a family member. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me it wasn't recording. (laughs) Oh, no, it's definitely recording. But uh, I I don't don't, don't have any illusions about it making any difference. (laughs) So if he wasn't listening, it's okay. (laughs) I honestly don't think he was, but um, he caught. I was listening. Oh, good. All right. You just turned your camera off. Gotcha. I, I do like the. I do like the notion, though, that the big reveal in this episode is that we actually weren't recording the entire season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, got, yeah. we got 124 listens on two hours of just dead silence. <laughs> uh, no. OK, so you did catch that, Rich. Uh, well, we're all dying to know, like, what's in what's in that head of yours right now? Oh man, you know, uh, like I, 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 I wish there was a, a, a Lake Mungo in this group, a film that I was like desperately sort of passionate about the way in which it, it defines the, the genre in a way that is specifically personal to, to me. And I feel like blood rage, come on, you know, I'm blood, <laughs> blood rage too. It went, it went too long ago. You know, I think that for me, like, I'll say this much, like, I, you know, I had not, I had actually not seen Black Christmas um, coming into this competition. Um, I had certainly seen Friday the 13th Part 2, but I'd say that I, I largely really dismissed it, you know. And so those are two films that I came to with a pretty fresh perspective going into this competition. And I... So I, I didn't have any like a uh, emotional baggage, especially going into to Black Christmas. And while I like Black Christmas for a lot of the reasons that that uh, that Vic laid out, I was not deeply impacted by it. I liked it. I would I would watch it again um, gladly, but I don't know that I'd want to go through repeated viewings of it. Um, whereas I have had repeated viewings of the the other films and and would still welcome that. Friday the 13th Part 2, I do feel like as a blueprint of this particular genre, it is the most textbook. And it defines what 
it is, especially to be a Friday the 13th movie. But I think truly like any slasher film, you know, it may actually do it in terms of laying out what the actual like beats you're going to hit and what are the, you know, like the, the, the moments you have to have and the, the types of scares and, you know, like the, the audience reactions, like it's, it's all there. Like it's, it's almost kind of preternatural how it's, how well it had like the genre like nailed so early on in the, in the genre's uh, lifespan, you know, but that said, it has a lot of weaknesses, not the least of which, as you pointed out, is that, you know, like the opening is a, is a rehash of the, of the first movie, but then it does, it does go on to remind you like how far it manages to, to push the form forward um, just in the course of one film. But that said, like what I call the best of all time, doesn't really like break a mold truly, or does it just kind of distill it down to its like, most primitive form and do it well. Like, I think it's more the second, you know? And so that leaves us with Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Halloween, which you guys have so nicely, um, paired up here. And, um, you know, I felt conflicted. So I did what any rational modern person, uh, would in this modern day and age. And, uh, that's, uh, I turned to, uh, AI to see if it could help us <laughs> come to the answer of this question. Um, I did uh, first ask ChatGPT uh, if it could tell me about the the March Madman podcast. And without going uh, too far astray of our of our topic at hand, I will say that it doesn't know who we are, but it did accurately predict what our podcast was. It understands that this could be a podcast that explores the fascinating world of psychological thrillers, horror films, or true crime stories, which I would say all of the above are covered between these, these, uh, <laughs> these two finalists. You know, in terms of, like, how does it read all the internet chatter and, and distill it into which one of these is actually the greatest slasher films of all times? Well, AI says that it can't tell you, but what it can point out is that Halloween, um, the 1978 classic, uh, you know, in short, basically is most well known for having an iconic status that really popularized a lot of the, the genre's tropes, that it executes with t- tension and suspense in a masterful way, uh, creating an atmosphere of dread and, you know, employing, like, techniques like the use of subjective camera perspective, um, you know, and the, the haunting score, you know, being able to, to do all that um, in a way that, that is incredibly effective. And that it has a layer of psychological depth, that even though it's a slasher film, you know, it still has this exploration of evil and trauma and the blurred line between reality and illusion. Whereas Texas Chainsaw Massacre is identified for strengths in having raw intensity a disturbing atmosphere and shocking realism. If that's really what you can boil these films down to, I guess it's a question of like, which one of those matters more to you. And I'd argue that like psychological depth is also something that I would put on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, while it's a film that doesn't feel like it's dealing with a lot of psychological depth on the, on the surface, I think that between, you know, Leatherface and the and the family and the sort of like you know muddy uh, mishmash of like classism that you're seeing you know play out uh, throughout these scenes. 
that, you know, like there is a lot of psychological depth in this film and that it's both creating, you know, a, an atmosphere that is like disturbing and tense. So I'd say that like Texas Chainsaw Massacre actually manages to take on the strengths that Halloween is left with, including the iconic status. I think that ultimately like the argument here is that like Texas Chainsaw Massacre has all of the strengths and none of the weaknesses that Halloween can exhibit. And I'm not saying that Halloween's not fantastic or that it doesn't set the, you know, set an incredible mold, that it doesn't build suspense and tension in a way unlike any other film, or that it isn't like the ultimate autumn sweater in that every season you can put it on again and slip comfortably into the exact spirit that you want in October. But I am saying that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is completely indelible and has a spirit that I think defines what you think of when you simply think of the word slasher. So I'm going to go with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I want to say that if you looked at our podcasts, um, I think we were endlessly fascinated with figuring out the astrology of Texas Chainsaw and Franklin. And like, it was such a meaty meal for us to dig into. And, you know, not to say that our Halloween podcasts didn't have lots to talk about and cover, but I felt it, it, it probably, probably was more superficial. And, and I spent a lot of it, you know, kind of questioning things instead of like whether this worked or was good or bad, instead of like just being fascinated the way that I was with, with Texas Chainsaw. And, and, And you reminded me of that rich while you were talking about it. So I, I wanted to put that in there without further ado, but um, Vic, buddy, I know this is a tough moment for you. Um, I'm sorry, but I mean, yeah. doesn't he make great points? Doesn't he make great fucking points? Rich, I, I just want to say congratulations because not only have you once again proven Mike Kuchek right that this was a, a fruitless uh, enterprise, but now you've pissed off the AI, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> Which was, by the way, asking the AI was genius. Uh, it was. And, I, and I'm, I'm really glad that you did that. Now, I look, I, this is when we, uh, if, uh, again, if, if Mike, uh, if Mike's predictions uh, were in fact prophetic, this is what I, how I anticipated this season was going to end uh, with, with essentially this exact vote. And I kind of knew going in, Certainly that I wasn't going to be able to sway you, John, and, and Rich is a fucking Texan. Like, come on. You know, <laughs> this is this is always where we're going to go. But I think, look, it, it points to uh, certainly, John, for you and I, some of the the that you and I are affected by different things in horror films. And so the things that are there are things that are effective for you in Texas Chainsaw um, that are a little less effective for me. And there are things that are effective for me in Halloween, you know, that, again, doesn't doesn't give you nightmares as an adult. And so it's you know, but we can all agree uh, that the ending of Sleepaway Camp gave us all nightmares. And that's the important <laughs> thing. No, I look, this is, this is great. I mean, this was great. I mean, I hate you both, but this was great. And I do think that the slasher genre is one that is, is literally mocked, uh, to this day. Uh, we recently had a, uh, 
uh, horror comedy called The Blackening come out at the box office and do reasonably well for its budget. So we're still mocking the conventions of this genre, but that's because it's still out there. It still pervades our culture. And so there is something to it that we continue to watch versions and iterations of this story play out over and over and over again. And I really think we got to the heart of some of that. I really do think that we identified you know, what is it about the characters? What is it about the antagonist? What is it about the mask? What is it about the the way that you establish tension? What is it about, you know, is it a who done it? Like what how do you how does it blend with the Giallo films? How does it blend with the sort of psychological films of the sixties, like um Peeping Tom and Psycho? What role does the level of violence and gore play, like you know, how do where do you where do you see Herschel Gordon Lewis's impact on a film like High Tension? And so I think pulling all those elements together really left us number one with the correct four films, uh, and number two with the wrong winner. But that's fine, you know. <laughs> It's so funny. I, I, I feel like back to the personal thing, like I think that Vic will will never forget, you know, the impact that this movie had on him, Halloween, when he saw it when he was way too young, or maybe the perfect age. Um, but 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 that will always be with you and, and I love that. But but yeah, that's a personal um experience for sure and 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 i've always said let's not lean too much into well what did the critics say or what if we just total all the awards and like no 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 this is three guys talking about yes the awards and the critics but at the end of the day we're we're saying what we feel about these films and we feel a lot about these films because we love them and i love the idea that you, you were kind of hinting at there the slasher will always be out there and we're always as a society, as moviegoers, as a species going to be afraid of that, but also kind of activated by it and, you know, thrilled by sort of the anxiety and the, and the what if question of what do I do, you know, in this situation. And, um, it, it, unlike other things, like for the most part, ghosts, um, or zombies or, uh, cosmic horror or uh, any of the number of uh, creature features that we we think about maybe doing with a season of this show like uh, at the core the slasher is real you know like it's a usually a guy out there who wants to murder people more or less for f- the fun of it or out of some deranged compulsion and either way we all you know sadly know that is a component of real humanity and while Vic very interestingly uh, many episodes ago talked about the decline of the serial killer uh, in society at least in this country the fact remains that there will always be psychos out there and we that resonates with people you know that uh, this is not all just a fantasy and, and and it makes it scarier and that is part of the enduring power of the slasher film all right. Final thoughts, Rich? No, I feel like you guys have, have very like kind of poetically closed the, the the loop on things. Like I don't I don't really feel the need to, to muddy the waters. 
Well, you certainly had an excellent uh, final argument and uh, decision on on the last film, Vic. Your your farewells for the season. I'm curious because when you were rattling off these films, and obviously we know that there's the age of slashers, and these these all came from what a six eight year period. Am I correct that our haunt? Well, except for The Shining, our haunted house films also came from. A pretty narrow period, or is that not no, correct? No, no, you're right because Terrified was was mm-hmm. uh, later. Okay, yeah, it was uh, recent. I mean, I think along the way, I remember us saying a lot of the haunted house films were within six or eight years. Yeah, but but yeah, not the four. Well, then future Vic, cut all that, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, I. You know, guys, like I love horror movies and something about this process helps me to rediscover why I love them. And I think that in in many ways, especially slashers, are dismissed. Critically, uh, they're dismissed in a lot of ways, but there is this undercurrent there is this place these dark corners of the world that we keep getting called back to it and that's why we still have halloween movies we still have texas chainsaw movies we still have friday the 13th uh the you know the prequel series is in production right now like i said these these are are stories that we get called back to Horror films are one of the few things that are still getting fucking made except for you know outside of uh comic book movies there's a these speak to us. They speak to something important and powerful and primal in us. And every aspect of of this process, I think, helps us and hopefully helps our listeners. Uh, but I don't really care about them. Fuck the listeners. I'm kidding. We love you. <laughs> but um, uh, helps us to get sort of a deeper understanding of that and how it works. And yet it still remains a mystery. There's still something elusive about why I pick Halloween and Oculus and John picks the shining and, uh, Texas chainsaw. Um, and no one will ever understand why rich picked the shining. Um, so, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, <laughs> bitter but much. I, I like I as I I love that we have that we have gotten to this place that we have arrived at a uh, albeit a contested conclusion, uh, but there's definitely more mysteries to dig into. So I'm I'm excited to to keep going on this process. Well, I I really hope our listeners have enjoyed uh, coming along for the ride. Um, I I disagree vehemently with Vic's assertion that uh, that the listeners are meaningless. Uh, we love you. No, I'm just kidding. Vic. <laughs> For me, no, I agree. It was worth doing this regardless. Uh, but I'm, I'm ready to put this chapter of my life behind me. Uh, the slasher film season has been fantastic but uh i'm i'm also eager for uh new avenues to explore uh but thank you to everyone who has spent your precious time listening to us with a uh, special shout out to luke merrick 
And thank you, of course, Vic and Rich, for all you put into the show. Vic, you're sharing the editing duties with me has made it all possible. So I want to uh, express my deep appreciation for that. And uh, until we meet again, this has been the March Mad Men podcast. May you always elude the slasher on your heels and never forget the double tap when he's down. Good night and good luck, final boys and girls. Adios. Adios.